Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, Wednesday, June the 2nd. Welcome in, everyone. Always like to do the podcast on Wednesdays. I always am busy. Tuscaloosa, Tied 100.9, first thing in the morning. Then JB and Goldwater from 1230 to 1.30, your Eastern time. And uh, so, uh, busy day, talking Gamecocks, talking NCAA transfer portal, <laughs> recruiting, uh, and I want to address this because it's it's a subject that's going to touch the entire sport. And I see uh, there's some articles, really good articles uh, on The Athletic and, and elsewhere. Bruce Feldman uh, and his Ari Weissman did a really good job, you know, reaching out to coaches and, and recruiting coordinators and people and uh, around the industry asking, you know, about uh, the transfer portal and, not only that, the COVID situation where everybody got a red shirt last year and future rosters. And there, there are all kinds of opinions out there, folks. There, there are people that are saying that uh, high school recruiting is going to go the way of the dodo. People speculating uh, there's just going to be a ton of kids that go to junior college now, that it'll serve as maybe a farm system to Division One. I'm not really buying all of that right now. And I think the reason is, yes, the portal is more active. And, yes, we have more transfers than we did. And, yes, it's a viable option when you're trying to build a roster or plug holes. Uh, and all this kind of came up yesterday because Georgia uh, got two players that, you know, were five-star guys coming out. Darion Kendrick, who was up at Clemson. You all remember him from South Point High School in Rock Hill. Um, they have needs in the secondary and they've addressed it through the portal as well as anybody. Uh, and, you know, Darion, I know we've seen games where he's kind of gotten lit up, but he's also extremely talented, you know, we're all, we're all talent wise. Uh, same with Eric Gilbert, who played as a freshman at LSU last year. This guy was a freak coming out of high school. He's from the state of Georgia. Probably should have gone to Georgia to begin with, but, uh, you know, didn't do it. And then transferred to Florida and then left there and, and went to UGA. He's got a little ways to go to qualify. But you combine him, you know, as a receiver with Washington, who they have a tight end. You got JT Daniels, a quarterback. Obviously, that's a guy that can help them uh, next year. And they're chasing, you know, Georgia, they're they're chasing a the title. They, they you know, I think you look around and they're ranked in the top five, most places right there at number five behind, you know, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama, which uh, – everyone is familiar with. Um, and, you know, they played for it in 2017. They haven't won it since 1980. And uh, that's a program that should compete for national titles, and they're trying to get a, a squad together to go do it. Um, but all this got brought up. So there's all these theories out there. And I just – I think people need to calm down. I think coaches need to calm down. Look, I, I honestly um, – and this is not anybody in Carolina – but I read some of these comments from some of these coaches that are, you know, panicking and, and, and upset about working really hard. I mean, you basically had the summer off last year. <laughs> you had to get on Zoom. Um, time to go back to work. I mean, you know, a lot of these guys are paid really, really well. Now, the ones that aren't, yeah, that sucks. But, uh, you know, a lot of these guys are, you know, six-figure guys, you know, approaching seven. And so I, I don't know that that's going to resonate. That's feeling sorry for coaches. I do think it's a, it's a very difficult deal, though, um, trying to put everything together, not just because of, of, you know, the transfer portal, but because of COVID. And then you have the name image likeness thing, and that's going to kind of be a state-by-state state deal unless Congress acts. And, you know, I, I read some of the, 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 the spewing out of Congress, and, and it seems like there's some guys that – you know, they're not just happy ruling on name, image, likeness. They want to make it to where, you know, student athletes are employees and want to join unions. You know, want them, to, want them to unionize. And I'm like, well, you know, for a large part of the country, unions are great and they work well. For another part of the country that's also significant, that's non-union. Um, 
And uh, politically, you know, I, I'm of the opinion that, you know, it works some places and work, doesn't work in others. In Illinois, uh, I think unions have worked well for a lot of folks with quote unquote blue collar jobs. I, I don't really like saying blue collar, white collar jobs because, I, you know, I, I have immense respect for the folks that have these quote unquote blue collar jobs. And, you know, in a union state like Illinois, you can you can build a nice life doing that. Uh, you got to pay out your butt and taxes and dues and, and everything else. And then, you know, in other parts of the country, the economy is tied to thriving businesses that are not bound by unions and rules. And, and, and you know, salaries are a little lower, but the cost of living is lower and the taxes are lower. I mean, property taxes in some of these really big union states are, are just ridiculous. I mean, you're talking ten, fifteen thousand dollars on a three hundred thousand dollar house a year annually. Um, and so politically, I just, I don't think that there's a one size fits all. I think that the, the democratic senators would like that. Uh, and I know that they're pushing union laws through to try to force Southern states or I don't want to say Southern states, states in the Sun Belt mostly because Arizona, Nevada or, or the upper, you know, the, I guess you call it big sky country, Montana. There, there's a lot of non-union states that are outside of the South. Uh, and they're trying to push that overall for the whole country. I don't think it works for the whole country. And I don't think it definitely would work for, for college football. I, I think players are not employees. Um, should they receive a stipend that's along the lines of teaching assistants who are employees? Yeah. Uh, should they get health insurance? Yeah. I think they do get covered with health insurance while they're playing. I, I'm, I'm for extending that out for a couple of years. You know, I'm all for taking care of players, but you know, this notion that they should unionize when, when you start getting into that, you start getting a lot of cooks in the kitchen and you start getting people that are in charge of unions that, you know, it's basically just about them having power and the union have a power. You open yourself up for strikes uh, and things like that. I, I just don't think that's healthy for the, it's not what college sports is about. Um, I'm not naive and dumb, and I'm not sitting here thinking, oh, it's just all about the scholarship, because I do think, you know, I'm, I'm in support of the name, image, likeness thing. I do think it's going to open up some interesting uh, discussions. Uh, you know, the how to do it is is interesting. You know, Georgia passed the law uh, that they, they legalized it, but then they said the university can keep 80% and redistribute it. Uh, to other players and athletes. And I don't know that that's fair. Yeah. Cause I, I think when you do that, you know, you're kind of, again, under the illusion that it's, you know, I mean, heck that's, that's the, that's for those of you out there that are on the right. I mean, that's, that's, that's socialism. That's redistribution of wealth. Um, I think everybody should get what they're worth. And I, and I honestly think, uh, as I've said many times, in college athletics, the name on the front of the jersey is a lot more powerful from a marketing standpoint than the name on the back, especially in football. Uh, and you've got some guys that actually, you know, have every right to go make money off their name or whatever. Um, and I'm all for that. But the vast majority of the folks on a, on a college football roster aren't going to see a lot of cash off of this. Uh, bottom line, you know, and, and that's that's the deal. So I, I don't. I don't know what South Carolina's law looks like, um, but I, I'm not in favor of the university taking 80%. I just, that's just not, that, to me, that just screws up the whole spirit of the, the deal. Because if it's, if it's about free market capitalism and about um, getting what you're worth, then they need to be able to go get what they're worth, no matter who, you know, no matter who doesn't get it. Uh, that, that's just my opinion on that. So, uh, but I'm in favor of that. I just, you know, I think this whole thing with unionization and, and all that good stuff, that, that just takes it to a different level. Um, and, you know, so so back to the coaches and, and all that. I, uh, you know, number one, I don't feel really sorry for a lot of them. I, I think, you know, you get paid good money to solve problems. And uh, this is obviously a jigsaw puzzle you're going to have to figure out. Um, but, uh, and I don't think, I don't think Shane Beamer's sweating it at South Carolina. Uh, I'll be honest. I don't, I don't think anybody from South Carolina was quoted in that article. Uh, it's just going to be, you know, kind of a, a until the NCAA decides to, you know, pass something where you get more guys on scholarship for the next couple of years, it's, it's going to be an issue, you know, for everybody. 
Um, but, you know, things like they're not going to sign any high school players. You know, they're just going to wait on the portal. That That's a very dangerous, dangerous type of deal. Um, because, you know, you've got guys that are transferring that have big reps and they haven't backed it up at all. And sometimes, like, like I'll give you a case of Jalen Phillips, um, number one player in the country, went to UCLA. Things didn't work out. He was heading. He was heading on the bus train, bus train. Um, went to Miami, had a great year, and got drafted first round. You know, so so everybody has a chance to turn it around. Don't get me wrong. There's value, I think, in a lot of players. But if you're planning on building a roster that way, you know, be careful. There's team chemistry issues. Football's still developmental. You, your guys that are coming in that are new are not used to your system and how you work. Um, you know, lots can go wrong. Uh, whereas when you get get the players out of high school, they come in as freshmen, they're there three or four years, they develop, everybody's happy and comfortable. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm not buying this whole, well, teams are just going to rethink their strategy. Now in basketball, that's a different, that's a different animal. I think basketball is heading straight free agency, massive roster turnover at all schools every year. The portal will become just as important as, as recruiting players, but basketball recruiting has been a lot different for a while now. Uh, it's not like football. Football is still geographically oriented, in state, out of state, that type of thing. Basketball players just go all over the place and transfer all over the place, and it you know it doesn't matter. I guess they like getting on planes a little more than football guys, but uh, you know there's a lot less scholarships to deal with. But football, you know, I I, I think it's it's a it's a bold prediction to sit there and start saying schools are, you know, and, and, I, and I'm curious to see what school would do this, what program would start doing this, where they're just, we're just going to get in the portal and not sign high school players every year. I mean, I, 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 there's a scenario where one year they'd probably be pretty good and one year they'll be awful, you know, because I, I just don't think you can sustain a program that way. Now, you know, what Alabama did adding Henry Toa Toa, and what Georgia's done, filling some needs on the roster with talented players, that's fine. I think that's kind of how you do it. What South Carolina did uh, is a different type of approach. Uh, but some of these guys are going to help, you know, going to kind of hitting the FCS group of five harder than maybe the the power fives. Um, and, and you start to look at that, and and I think there's, there's a debate to be had about what the, you know, specific – uh, idea is, you know, in terms of do you go FCS and group of five heavy and guys are looking to step up and looking for a better opportunity so they come in hungry, uh, or do you just say, hey, we're just going to go with, you know, elite guys only that can come in and join us and they can assimilate to what we do. Uh, and, and I look, you know, I'm looking through the uh, the portal rankings or whatever, and look, if you can sign Eric Gilbert, sign Eric Gilbert. If you can sign Henry Toa Toa, sign Henry Toa Toa. I loved Eric Gray when he was at Tennessee. Uh, I think going out to Oklahoma and playing in that offense is probably smart. Florida State loves Jamie Robinson. Uh, Mackenzie Milton, who was the UCF quarterback that had a, that vicious injury a few years back, is going to be Florida State's quarterback this year. He's recovered. He looks good. Uh, and quarterback's a different subject, but uh, – now, those four position guys, I mean, they're, they're good. But then you look at some other guys and you're like, well, why'd they leave? And How good are they? And, and all this other stuff. I mean, it's uh, – I think there's warts on everybody, you know. And they're coming from a lower level or at a higher level. I mean, at South Carolina specifically, I mean, you know, I know Jalen Brooks did not set the world on fire last year, but I do expect him to be improved this season. And, and, and athletically he belonged. I mean, you didn't look out there and go, that guy's slow and stiff. And no, it wasn't that. He just didn't catch the ball sometimes. Uh, and had, you know, couldn't get off the line of scrimmage on the pick at LSU. I mean, you can go through and pick out specific things, uh, but Jalen belongs at this level. I mean, athletically, you know, he's better than, I mean, there's 13 scholarship receivers on the roster. He's better than probably 10 of them. Um, and Nick Muse, who came from William and Mary, people just went insane when the Gamecocks signed Nick Muse. And they uh, they told me they thought he could play in the NFL one day, and he probably can, probably will. Uh, you, you tell me he doesn't belong. And then, you know, they got Nick Harvey in from Texas A&M as a grad transfer. He was a top 100 borderline five-star player, didn't get off the bench. 
Jim L. Cook came in from Southern Cal, was a top 100 prospect out of high school, ended up getting kicked off the team. You know, and, and out of that bunch, JT Ebay from Rice ended up playing more than Harvey. Now, was JT ideal? No. None of the safeties they had have been great. You know, collectively, the safety play left a lot to be desired. And we all know that. But, you know, JT played a whole lot more than Nick Harvey, and you wouldn't have thought that. Now, I say all that to say this. I don't know what the answer is. Uh, I don't know if the 1AA or FCS deal, getting an FCS group of five guys is better or hitting the portal for some proven guys at this level is better. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, like – well, you know, and I think what you could do is collectively this coming season or in the coming seasons, you, you can kind of compare kind of what South Carolina did in the portal uh, with what Florida State did. Now, you know, you look at Florida State, they they got an offensive lineman from Notre Dame. They got a kid from UCF. They got two from Carolina, one from Auburn, one from Kansas from Arkansas, I mean, one from Georgia, they they really went power five. You know, they got two from UCF, Milton, and then a cornerback, Brandon Moore. And uh, But they went heavy uh, on the guys that were, you know, FBS level. And I'm biased against some of these guys because I love Jamie Robinson and Kier Thomas and DJ Williams coming out. I thought he was a five-star, and I, he may not end up getting there, but uh, – really good player and Mackenzie Milton's a hell of a story and uh, Florida state loves Jermaine Johnson. He's probably going to start for them and, and all that. So I'm biased towards a lot of these guys, a lot of guys, Carolina signed, you know, I honestly had not tracked them. I'm, I'm high on them, but I don't know, you know, so then you look at Carolina, they got a kid from assumption, a kid from Georgia Southern, a kid from Georgia state, two from St. Francis and one from Delaware. Jakeem green came from Nebraska and a Brown from Georgia tech. But that's it. And then the kid from Washington State, Tyrese Ross, he's not listed here on our transfer list. But, you know, so that's not power five heavy. So, so you know, collectively in a couple of years, and I do, I probably you probably do have to wait to, when you examine these groups, which one's better? On paper right now, Florida State, clearly. Because you hadn't heard of these guys. You know, you, you a lot of it's on rep. But – you know, we'll, we'll see because I, I think that when you go player to player, once you leave high school, okay, once once you leave high school, the star ratings are out the window. Uh, and I think a lot of these guys, you know, like I said, DJ Williams was a five-star coming out. I'm still high on it. I'm still clinging to that because that was my prediction. You know, so I'm, I'm going to give DJ a little bit of a bump sometimes, even though, you know, things didn't work out at Auburn. Tank Bigsby came in and DJ didn't really play, <laughs> which shows you how good Tank Bigsby was. When Carolina, you know, had him. <laughs> Shoot. But, um, you know, and, and you just look at the Carolina people that have worked out. And maybe some things work for some schools and don't for others. Maybe South Carolina becomes that school that's smarter. You know, maybe, maybe they are the, maybe they're the smartest kid in the classroom and they go get these guys. Um, I don't know. You know, I, it's a mystery. We'll see how they perform. I know that most, for the most part, the transfers that they had, um, they they're pretty high on all of them. Now Platel's not in yet. Ross isn't in yet. But Amari and Brown's a guy that can make plays for them. You know, Spalding actually surprised me. Uh, I wasn't expecting much. I thought he's more of a developmental guy, uh, but he played a lot. Got a lot of reps this spring. Jordan Strong obviously is a player that a lot of people love. Jason Brown, you saw what he did in the spring game. Got a ways to go, but. You know, certainly you you feel better with Brown, even if Doty starts, because you got a guy that's played that knows college football. EJ Jenkins is a freak. Uh, Jakeem Green uh, actually had a really good spring and surprised a lot of people. You know, he's probably in the two deep at D tackle. Uh, again, maybe not the four star guy that we all thought coming out. Uh, but going to be a pretty important player. You know, if he can be like Ulrich Jones a couple of years ago uh, and give the Gamecocks that kind of performance at defensive tackle, I'm talking about 2017 uh, for Ulrich, you know, great. That, that's kind of why you'll get a guy. And then Debo Williams, it's just a matter of time 
and learning the position, but obviously he's impressed. So, you know, and we'll see about Ross and Platel. Hopefully they're all, they're both really good because there's a lot of question marks in the secondary. Um, so I don't know. I don't know the answer. You know, we'll see what happens. I, I know this, I know quarterbacks. And like I said, that's a different story that it's going to become free agency. It's going to be like basketball. Quarterbacks are going to shuffle around quite a bit just because you can only play one at a time. Everybody's looking for an opportunity. Everybody looks for a chance to go lead their team. Um, going to be interesting. You know, quarterbacks, I think, will continue to shuffle. And you have a proven track record, uh, mostly at Oklahoma, and I mentioned this yesterday with Hertz and Mayfield and Murray, uh, but then also at LSU with Joe Burrow, uh, where transfer quarterbacks have come in and lit it up and – uh, really performed historically well. I forgot Justin Fields. Justin Fields last year led his team to the national championship game. First round pick of the Bears. He's a transfer. He was at Georgia. Then he was at Ohio State. Uh, so I think quarterbacks, that's going to be something that we're all going to have to monitor constantly every single year. Um, and looking forward to seeing how Ryan Holinsky performs at Northwestern. Last I heard, he's, you know, there's no starter yet, but you know, he's looked pretty good, and Hunter Johnson's right there with him, and then another guy uh, at Northwestern. So, you know, quarterbacks, I think, are going to move around quite a bit, and I think that's something that you can you can point to. Um, the other positions, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, you know, as far as do you go with the guys from the lower level that are hungry or not. I do think some of this stuff is ridiculous, though, talking about, well, you're just not going to sign any high school guys and all that good stuff. It does take away spots from high school guys. And and that's going to be interesting too, because what happens when guys go down a level, but they're really good enough to play at your level, you know, do you, do you just go bounce them back? You know, maybe that's, that's what they're talking about, but uh, it's been interesting. It's been interesting. Gamecocks uh, summer camp rolls on and uh, that's all good. And they will start camp. I'm sorry, the Gamecock Summer Prospect Camp. So it's not practice, but the players are all back on campus working through the summer program with Luke Day. But Shane Beamer Prospect Camp, first one, first camp they've had at South Carolina since the summer of 2019. Um, So that's good. It starts tomorrow. Uh, but some recruiting news that came out, four-star defensive tackle Jamari Lyons from Melbourne, Florida, going to come up for an unofficial and then set his official visit per Hale McGranahan of the Big Spur for the Kentucky weekend. So Gamecocks have probably a little bit of staying power there. I think, uh, you know, the defensive tackle recruiting, you know, has probably, you know, surpassed my expectations a little bit just because there's not a lot in state this year. You know, there is in the coming years, definitely. But you, you don't have the, the Terry and Ingram Dawkins type guy uh, or even the Justice Boone type guy or, you know, Boogie Huntley type guy or, or whoever, uh, Zach Pickens, in the state this year. At least we don't – at least as far as we know. You know, there may be a guy that pops up. Uh, but Jamari Lyons from Melbourne, Florida, is a guy that Jimmy Lindsay's after, and, and he's uh, going to officially visit for the Kentucky games. That's good. I mean, you're in there with a four-star kid from Florida that has loads of offers, um, and he's visiting. So that's all you can ask for. Dylan Lonegren, uh, who's a 2023 quarterback, probably the – I don't know that I'd say the top on the board, but if there's a top group, he's in it. Uh, he's from Georgia, really good player. Lots of, lots of folks want him. Gamecocks have been kind of all over him for a while. He's coming in to throw. Uh, it's a chance to build a relationship. And, uh, you know, you, you probably don't have a chance with a guy like this unless you build a strong relationship. And, you know, Marcus Satterfield and Shane Beamer, the offensive staff, you know, that, that's their job is to get this kind of done uh, and solidify it. You know, recruiting for quarterbacks, like I mentioned with the portal, even when you're just straight up recruiting quarterbacks, it's a different story. Um you know, because it's 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 quicker. I mean, they, these guys commit soon, sometimes 18 months out from when they sign. Uh, so it's it's go time for 2023 quarterback recruiting. 
Uh, and this guy's in there. Carson Black is in there. There's a kid from Louisiana visiting whose name escapes me that's in there. Um, these guys all are coming to campus. And I think it's impressive to see the guys they're getting there. And I, I spent a long time talking about the portal. Here's the here's the deal now. You, you Even if you're not getting a guy, it's in your best interest to build a great relationship with them, you know. Uh, because you never know. I mean, he may be back on the market in a couple of years. And I mean, he, Dylan Lonegren may sign with a program that goes and signs somebody behind him that's better. And then he's like Joe Burrow, you know, he, he's looking for another place. And, you know, if you got a good relationship with him, there you go. So I think it's in everybody's interest to recruit everybody as hard as you can, even if you're not getting them. Whereas maybe it used to not be. Maybe it used to not be. So so we'll see what happens. Gunnar Stockton's team is coming on campus for a seven-on-seven, seven, by the way, coached by Jay Boshaw. And if I'm the Gamecocks, I know he's committed to Georgia. I'm telling him we still love him. And to give us a call if he wants to come. <laughs> uh, I know Braden Davis is the quarterback in this class, but uh, I think you still keep that relationship going because what if Stockton goes to Georgia and, Vandergriff beats him out, and you know you never know. Davis is a is a, uh, a developmental guy. What if his development's in this fast? And you need a quarterback. Somebody gets you know. You see what I'm saying? Uh, we're kind of in a new era of recruiting. I will give those articles that uh, talked about hellfire and brimstone and all that about the portal. I'll give them that. We are in a new era, and I think the strategy, you know, is a little different than it was because you always have to be aware. Uh, of the portal and all that. But, you know, Marcus Satterfield, it's uh, really up to him and Shane Beamer and those guys to, to build a relationship with Dylan Lonegren. And uh, he's a special talent. So you got another big time guy coming in at the quarterback position. And that's huge. Um, there was a post on the board uh, by my man, Lorenzo 80. He's a good at, uh, really good at breaking things down. You know, I, I don't always agree with him or see what he sees, and he doesn't always see what I see. But you could probably ask two football coaches their opinion on something, and they'll give you two different answers. It's, sometimes it's just in the eye of the beholder or philosophy or whatever. Uh, but an interesting post from him. I want to give him a shout-out there. New assistant coaches in the SEC, new coordinators, basically. And, you know, I've had this theory for a while, and I've talked about it here on the podcast, that in the last five years, probably for the first time in my life, starting around 2015, NFL offenses to me have evolved and have been more creative and dynamic than college offenses, probably for the first time in my life. You know, colleges, I mean, and, and look, they've they've taken some things from colleges. I mean – you know, the air raid is part of what they do in the NFL now, whether it looks like the air raid or not. You know, a lot of that stuff they, they use. Um, and, and you start thinking back, you're like, well, when's the last time? And, and I'm just going to talk about the SEC because I know in the Big 12 you have offenses that put up a lot. And, you know, I have a lot of respect for Lincoln Riley and his offense. They do a little different out at Oklahoma and really like what they do. Uh, but you know, there, there's often offenses in other parts, in other leagues that, you know, Hey, whatever, you know, (laughs) sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, but I'm I'm just going to stick with the SEC since that's what I know. But, you know, think about when's the last time there was an offense that, that came into the league, you know, prior to Joe Brady in 2019 with LSU that, that sort of made a, dramatic difference probably i'd have to say miles on in 2013 when he came back took over that coach job had nick marshall play for the national championship that bad boy was hard to stop and it was different and so uh, i sort of look at it you know and, and so until joe brady in 2019 and sark in 2020 you know both guys with pro style backgrounds you know, Sarkeesian probably was the best play caller in college. He was in a zone calling plays this past year. You know, probably the best there is. 
you know, and then Lane Kiffin's offense at Ole Miss, which is basically kind of from the Art Briles, kind of a marriage of what he's always done and sort of what Art Briles does, which is genius, I think. You know, but the top two, you have to say, would be Brady and Sark, and, and those are NFL offenses. You know, so you look through Alabama, went to the NFL, hired Bill O'Brien as their OC. Bill O'Brien's a great, outstanding play caller. Um, I'm not sure what it's going to look like, you know, in terms of is it going to look like what Sark did or not. I'm assuming they're still going to have RPOs and all that, but, you know, that's a guy that could – that's a guy that can get it done. You know, Auburn hired Mike Bobo, but they're going to marry that with what Brian Harson does. A lot of pro-style elements, obviously, there. LSU made a uh, interesting uh, hire. They hired two Panthers offensive coordinators and Jake Peets, our, our offensive assistants, and Jake Peets, and uh, DJ Mangus. <laughs> Not GA Mangus, DJ Mangus. Uh, and he was, uh, you know, these guys – have been around, but they, they've sort of been analysts and assistants to the assistant and, and all that, you know, kind of like Joe Brady was, not a not a guy that called a lot of plays. Um, so they're going to LSU uh, and trying to, you know, LSU is decent on offense at times last year. At times they weren't. Quarterback had something to do with that. But uh, trying to get that, that magic back. Kentucky hired Liam Cohen, who was an Ivy League guy, went to UMass. Went to Maine, and then he's in the NFL for three seasons. Uh, and keep in mind when you, when you when you talk about programs like Maine and all, keep in mind Chip Kelly, uh, who at the beginning of the 2010s was very dynamic. Keep in mind he was in New Hampshire before. Yeah, you know, sometimes those guys up in the Northeast are, you know, they're not talent laden rosters, so they they sit there and try to scheme you up pretty good and good scheme of things. Um, so Liam Cohen's the offensive coordinator there, and he was the assistant receivers coach for the Rams and then assistant quarterbacks coach, Sean McVay. That's that tree. Sean McVay, obviously, with the Rams, has had a dynamic offense for years. David Rye, Ray, R-A-I-H, is now at Vanderbilt. Now, he's an air raid guy. He's straight off the Mike Leach, Cliff Kingsbury tree uh from college but then he went to the nfl and went with the packers for a while and then the cardinals to coach wide receivers you know so he's been with with cliff kingsbury uh, out in phoenix and then you got uh the other new coordinator would be josh heupel of course who's you're familiar with him for what he did at missouri it's more of a traditional air raid i've never been a huge fan of what he uh, has done on offense but you know, numbers speak for themselves, and they do put up numbers. They, at Missouri, they put up numbers against some teams that, you know, if you didn't stop them, they were going to score a bunch. Uh, and I think, I think for Tennessee, they they may, they need some excitement, uh, I think. So we'll see what happens there. But, uh, yeah, the majority of these guys are, are NFL guys. And then, of course, there's Marcus Satterfield, uh, the third Panthers assistant who gets hired uh, back into the SEC. So – Somebody knows something <laughs> as far as like offensive philosophy. Now, sometimes, you know, college coaches love the NFL. They watch it. You know, they love ball. And sometimes they, you know, they look there and they're like, we can do this like the NFL and, and it doesn't work out. Kurt Roper, I think one of his big issues was in 2017, he tried to just go NFL RPO style things and, and it just it didn't work. And he had plenty of talent too, so it was sad. Um, but I do think that in today's game, when you, when you look at the NFL and sort of, like I said, the creativity, the way they spread the ball around, the way they focus on matchups, it's a lot different. We haven't had, you know, anything in college that wasn't trickling down in a while. I mean, you, you know, for a while there, you had Gus Miles on coming from high the high school level and it funneled up. Uh, you know, and then, then all that. Even Dan Mullen, if you look at his offense last year with Trask and those receivers and Pitts, I mean, it was it, it, he did a lot of NFL type stuff. You know, whereas normally it was read option running the quarterback. You know, you look at that, and you know what they did with Trask and the receivers and Pitts, and that was a, that was the best passing offense in the country. 
which says a lot about Dan Mullen because Mullen's proven, you know, if he's got a running quarterback, he can make things happen. He can power run the ball. He can throw it all over the place. I mean, just a tremendous, tremendous football coach. Say what you want about Dan Mullen's personality. That guy can coach offensive football. And and so, you know, there was a a really good offense in the league last year that was, you know, traditionally a college-style offense, but they they incorporated a ton of NFL stuff. You know, so so I think that's an interesting transition. Now, it remains to be seen if any of these guys are going to pan out. I mean, it may be that Joe Brady was Joe Brady and he was special and, you know, you don't really get by with hiring some random assistant off an NFL staff of, you know, one, two, three, three, four different schools in the SEC did it. Bama hired O'Brien, who was a head coach from the NFL. You know, Bobo's a pro-style guy, you know, in the Tennessee with Heupel. So it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. The Kentucky move, you know, Mark Stoops is not dumb either. So the Kentucky move kind of got me. I'm like, well, that's interesting. And then anyway, so we're gonna we're gonna be looking at that all season. I think it's something we're gonna track and see. You know, what's this? Are we in a new era of college football in terms of scheme and and where the the pros? Because you know, I, I've always said South Carolina cannot run a pro style offense and be successful. And I may I may have to eat my words because the definition of a pro style offense the last five years has changed. You know, you, you're not getting in the eye and, you know, running 21 personnel downhill and, and all that good stuff. Uh, you're doing a lot of different things. Under center, from the gun, it's a variety. It is multiple. It is a multiple attack. You know, so pro-style offense now means something different. <laughs> you know, so maybe South Carolina can run a pro-style offense and be successful. I, I tend to think – you know, that, that, that definition's been sort of blurred. It's sort of like pro style and dual flare quarterback, which 24-7 sports did away with. I think for years now, when you're ranking quarterbacks, you want a guy that's not a statue in the pocket, but that can throw the ball accurately. Uh, if he can run, that's a bonus. Uh, run well, but, but he at least needs to not be a statue. And so, you know, that, that's everybody from Fields to Trey Lance to Trevor Lawrence. I mean, all those guys. You know, and, and they have different levels of escapability and athleticism, but they all do. Uh, you know, who's the best? Who are the best quarterbacks in the NFL now? Well, outside of Tom Brady, who's a machine, uh, and, and see what, what's the most important thing though: deliver the ball accurately and on time, make a decision. Uh, yeah, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, that guy definitely can throw it, but he can run a little bit too. He's a little bit, little bit light, you know, a little bit of a guy that can uh, make things happen with his feet, and I think that's where the game's going uh, more towards the Patrick Mahomes style, less towards like Matt Ryan, who plays for the Falcons. I love Matt Ryan, Matty Ice. Loved him at Boston College. Think he's a great quarterback. I like the Falcons, so I'm always pulling for him. But I, I think the guys you're going to see, yeah. All right, so less, let more Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. And less Blake Bortles. How about that? Blake, remember Blake Bortles that played at UCF, first round draft pick, number one pick, just cement shoes, cement shoes. And I think the guys like that, and, and, and you know, I, for the NFL, they still love guys like that. Don't get me wrong, but uh, for some reason, but I, I think that's where the game's going. And I think that's where the college game's going. So pro style offense, pro style quarterback, that's probably out the window. It's just probably offense and quarterback these days, but I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, how, how these coordinators that, you know, cause these are guys that just, Hey, they were just on NFL staffs that run good offense. And here we go. Let's go <laughs> bring that here, please. So that happens. Seventh woods has decided to enter the transfer portal. Seventh was going to transfer. Then he wasn't going to transfer. And then he entered the portal. Uh, this was expected. Uh, I feel kind of bad for the kid just because, you know, Carolina did not have a good year this past year on the hardwood. Seventh Woods definitely did not have a good year. Um, I think one game he – was it the game they beat Florida on the road? Probably had 12 points, had a good shooting night, never had a good shooting night. Uh, played pretty good on defense at times, just not – 
you know, obviously not the five-star prospect he was uh, or expected to be, but, um, you know, still a human being. <laughs> I mean, people just – people are ranting and raving about it, and I'm like, look, dude, just wish him the best. I mean, South Carolina Gamecock who, I mean, for a year – from Columbia, local guy, you know, he's deserves some respect. I mean, not everybody's going to be great, but they're human beings. I mean, and, and then uh, I guess I read <laughs> there's an interesting take on, you know, Frank Martin's son, Brandon, is joining the, the program. He's coming in from USC Upstate, average like five points a game up there um, as a walk-on, He's walking on the team. You know, I walk on, right? So, you know, <laughs> people are going crazy about this. And I'm like, like just way overreacting. I, there, was, there was one post, I don't remember who posted it on the message board, that said Frank could probably go find five guys at the Solomon Blatt PE Center or play the intramurals that are better than this guy. And, and, you know, his take was that in the mid-2000s, he played intramurals. And there are a lot of football players that play intramural basketball that probably are pretty good. But, I mean, you're telling me Brandon Martin can't go play intramurals and be probably one of the best players in the league? Probably. I mean, you know, come on. <laughs> this is not fair because I mean, it's, it's kind of a foghorn leghorn thing. I say this is not fair. To the to the intermural players that is probably far better than him. No, that's just come on, man. This guy was a division one basketball player. This guy was uh, you know, as a son of the head coach. And this guy's walking on. It's not like they're using a scholarship on him. Uh, it's not like anything. I mean, you know, what what is the I mean, come on. <laughs> I could see it. I mean, you know, I'd scratch my head at Frank you know, put his son on scholarship. You know, that, that, that would probably be worthy of controversy, but not here. Just like if Seventh Woods had stayed, I don't think Seventh Woods is going to play a whole lot if he stayed. But if he had stayed, he didn't count against the scholarship count. Who cares? You know, people get so worked up about things. It's just like uh, – and, and that, I guess that's part of like – being on the hot seat, needing to turn your program around, every single thing is going to get scrutinized. Um, but I, I, for the life of me, I never expected, you know, a, a walk-on transfer from a mid-major uh, who's going to walk on, you know, a low mid-major at that, but a mid-major, uh, or maybe a low major. Maybe I don't know what upstate would be. Probably a low major. Walking on. Doesn't cost the university a dime. Gets to go practice. Happens to be the son of the head coach. Um, for the life of me, I never, I never thought I would read. Well, that's unfair to the intramural players on campus. <laughs> Frank Martin, you know, with that kind of thought, that they, he literally, I mean, that, that's 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 getting into like, man, nothing you can do is right territory. But uh, anyway, I, I thought that was hilarious, and I don't like. I said I don't remember who exactly posted it. I just it just sort of stuck with me, and I was shocked. But you know, I don't know why I'm shocked about things uh, anymore. Um, baseball, obviously, noon first pitch. On I haven't looked at the weather. I'm assuming it'll be warm on Friday against Virginia. This Abbott kid. It's going to be really tough for the Gamecocks to hit. Bad matchup, I think, for Carolina. I think if they can survive it, they can win the regional. I think even if they lose, you know, they have the pitching depth to make a run at least on Sunday. But I think it's I think, I think it's an important thing. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you talk to four people, two say one thing, two say another about, about the program. And, and nobody's right, nobody's wrong. It's, it's like to believe that, well, they have to make the Super Regional this year for Kingston, the blah, 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 blah. The other two are like, that's not a very good team, so they're not going to win and get out of the Regional. And and, and I, I'm kind of in the middle. I, I, I think ideally 
they take care of business at home like South Carolina baseball does. And win the daggum regional. I mean, you know, South Carolina has lost one regional at home since, oh, well, the Tanner era, uh, before the Tanner era. They lost a super at home to Louisiana Lafayette. Um, never lost a regional at home under Tanner. Lost one under Holbrook when Maryland came in. I think it was 2014. Um, and then one, you know, came back with against UNC Wilmington and won one under Holbrook. Then Oklahoma State came in and swept them in the Supers at home. But, you know, South Carolina baseball, it's, it's, it's rare historically to lose a regional at home. Now, I could go, I could probably go back to the 80s and there, there's some probably some regional losses there at Sarge, but they, they didn't, um, they won it in 2000, they won it in 2001, 2002, 2000. I mean, yeah, so they, they've, Gamecocks have had really good success at home in regionals. It's what this program's all about. So go take care of business and win. You know, that that's my opinion that that would kind of I don't want to say restore order, you know, because South Carolina is uh I think they're sixth all time in national championship appearances, uh top ten in wins in Omaha as a program. Uh, haven't been to Omaha as much as some of the other ones. They've only been 11 times. Some some have been like 20-something. But they, uh, you know, they're a top-10 program, okay, historically top-10. Facilities, fan support, baseball, access to talent in the Carolinas and wherever else they recruit. I guess I guess Chicago these days, <laughs> uh, Oklahoma. <laughs> they, got, they got some guys from Australia. They got some guys from all over. But uh, – you know, it's a top ten program, so that that, that means you, you the supers are, I mean, basically an expectation. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know, do do I think they need to fold up the tent and quit, and people need to want to fire whole uh, Kingston and all that if they don't get out of the regionals? No, I mean, it's baseball is about matchups, and that's a tough matchup with Abbott drawing Virginia, who's won twelve of seventeen games, is tough. You know, they're a good program as well. Um, I don't even want to discount Old Dominion. I guess they're a one seed for a reason. I don't see a lot of, you know, you look at South Carolina's schedule and compare it to Old Dominion's. I mean, Old Dominion's 42 and 14. I think the Gamecocks could have been like, probably could have won 49 games against their schedule, just to be straight. You know, 49 and seven kind of deal. But, you know, it's just how it is. And, and you know, so I think it's a tough matchup. But I do think that getting to the Supers – you know, you get to the Super Regionals and all of a sudden, like I said yesterday, Mark Kingston's got two Super Regional appearances in three years. You know, the the 8-22 and 22 team in the SEC was – I mean, you know, you say it's unforgivable, and it is as far as the standards. It obviously could not happen again. But that was the year the bottom fell out, okay? Welcome to rock bottom. You know, and there's one year that that, that happens – Sometimes when you're going through a, a period of time transition-wise and trying to get a, a program back, obviously that team had a lot of injuries. They lost a lot of one-run games. It was just a disaster. But, you know, two out of three years, I mean, you, that's good. The same thing Chad Holbrook did. And he was in – well, no, I'm sorry. Holbrook was in a super and then it got eliminated in the regional uh, two out of his first three years. So that would be one step better. Uh, and I think that would make some people happy. My question about baseball, and I mentioned this yesterday, is always going to be what happens after this year? Because this year they had a lot of ta- – Carolina had a lot of talent coming back. You know, you asked John Whittle about the players they have, all that. You know, they, they, was, this team was one of the more talented – I don't know if this is one of the more athletic teams Carolina's had, but it's more talented-wise, especially with the pitching. So what's going to happen? I mean, are, are, what, 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 what's the world of SEC baseball going to look like? Who's getting the job at LSU? That's a, that's a, that's a good question too, because, you know, I mentioned South Carolina being in the top 10 for wins in Omaha. The only other SEC team in the top 10 for wins in Omaha is LSU. So, you know, I mean, here we go. <laughs> uh, next year, starting in 2022, you know, we're going to see sort of where this thing goes. I think for right now though, um, with all the crap that's happened, you know, with all sports across the across the spectrum, 
some really tough losses against some really good teams this year for this team. You know, I think a super regional would, would make a lot of people feel good. But, you know, facts over feelings. You know, can they do it? I don't know. I don't know. Mailbag time. To get to the mailbag, you have to go and tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. And um, you can also email inside the at gmail.com. Got a couple of Twitter questions today that I'll get to. Chase says, do you guys have a recruiting page for baseball? If you do, please guide me to it. I've yet to find it. Thanks. We have a baseball database. 24-7 sports does not do like baseball rankings or uh, anything like that. Um, It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's more of a database thing. And let me, let me just look up and, yeah, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet to you the twenty twenty two. Here, I'm gonna put it on Twitter. And there we go. And uh that's the commit list. That's the best we can do on baseball recruiting. Uh Whittle covers it for the site, uh reports on it all the time. But if you want kind of one page where you can see who's coming in, that's it. So they don't do rankings. So we don't really have rankings, but uh, Whittle cites the perfect game rankings and some other stuff um, and reports on all of that. Okay, uh, so that's it. So, yeah, but we, we have a ba- database that has baseball players in it and all that. Ricky says, will you break down our chances with the biggest names and our best prospects who we're visiting? Um, that's football, obviously. Well, uh, I'm, I'm going to say, you know, the, the guy – the guy that I think, if you were just saying, uh, who is a guy that, I mean, there are no must-haves, okay? Some of the must-haves over the years have been, you know, hot garbage <laughs> at all schools. You know, so I, my theory is there are no must-haves. Who's a guy that it would not be a positive thing or a welcome development if they went elsewhere? I would say Antonio Williams, uh, the receiver from – Dutch Fork. Uh, I just think that the more people watch him, uh, the more you sort of realize this guy's the top receiver in the state. He is a special athlete. Uh, he is the type of guy South Carolina needs. Um, you know, it, it's nice to get back into Dutch Fork. You know, you have some you have Devin Hyatt coming up over there too. You know, the question is Willie, and, and you know, uh, there's talk about a Clemson offer and all that. Um, he's going to visit a lot of schools, though. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's There's a lot of competition for him. Not just It's not just if Clemson offers, you know, he'll go there, and if not, he'll come to South Carolina. Gamecocks are working him very, very hard. Uh, that's the guy, you know, I think that you point to. Uh, if you, there's a musket. Now, you mentioned some highly rated guys. Uh, Keenan Nelson Jr. from Phila- uh, Philadelphia, cornerback, 6'1", 200, big kid. Gamecocks are battling Penn State for him. Uh, I think Penn State has a slight edge, but he really likes the Gamecocks. Oscar Delp is the number one tight end in the country, according to some. He's from Georgia. Got to beat the dogs on him, but I think Carolina's right there uh, as far as that goes. Those guys will be in the 25th. Um, you know, Sam McCall, five-star player from Florida State, was committed to Florida State from Lakeland Lake Gibson, uh, is going to come in on an official uh, on June 11th. Uh, he's a highly rated guy. Uh, Ryan Brubaker, uh, big offensive tackle for Pennsylvania. Uh, keep an eye on that guy because there, there's some confidence uh, surrounding him for the Gamecocks. So th- those are the guys that have official visits set up. Mentioned four-star Jamari Lyons from Melbourne, Florida visiting in the uh, fall. Same thing with four-star D-tackle Curtis Neal out of Cornelius. He's visiting for the Eastern Illinois game. Uh, but if, you, if you're looking for the top, top-rated guys, uh, I'll throw another one in here, Dominic James, defensive tackle from Bradenton. He's going to Ohio State this weekend. We'll see how that works out. Um, and then uh, on the 18th, Traquan Fagans, 
who's a uh, the number 75 player in the country, a four-star defensive back from Oxford, Alabama, is coming in. I think with him it's just going to depend on what Alabama does and um, and then how well does he like South Carolina once he visits. Uh, you know, so those are some of the top, top-rated guys. Um, really, to be honest, considering this is a program with a new head coach that's lost 19 of 27 games, I'm, I, I think that the, the positivity and the approach and the work ethic, quite frankly, of, of, of the staff in recruiting from top to – I don't want to say top to bottom, but from coaches one through coaches ten has been outstanding – uh, and I think to put together a group like this of visitors, you know, this early uh, is is quite tremendous. Uh, I think it's it's quite tremendous, um, just based on you know the the feedback. And then you look at 2023, 2024. Uh, you know, just now, uh, Jaden Robinson from I believe Lake City, Columbia, uh, four star guy, uh, Florida player, class of 2023. You know, here are his camps, South Carolina, Florida, Texas A&M, Georgia, Alabama. Uh, you know, and you want the guys that are visiting those other schools to visit your school. Uh, and then that's how it is right now. So there we go. That's uh, that's kind of the deal there. And um, I think you guys are going to be impressed. I think, you know, South Carolina historically signs top 25 classes, you know, probably usually somewhere between 17 and 25. Uh, and I think for this class, they can get back there. And then I think as you move forward and build more momentum, rankings-wise, you, you can start creeping up. Now, sometimes, uh, as I've said many times, you know, Gamecocks at times have signed a class that's maybe 19th, 20th, something like that. Uh, and then you look ahead of them, and you're like, well – uh, you know, you, you go through the player for player comparison and you're like, well, shoot, these guys aren't even playing, <laughs> you know, like Tennessee 2019, you know, Darnell Wright's still there. Wanya Morris is gone. Henry Toto is gone. Quavaris Crouch is gone. I don't know about Ramel Keaton. I don't know about Jalen McCullough. Eric Gray's gone. I don't know if Tyus Fields ever made it in. Um, Jackson Lowe is gone. Uh, you know, you, you can keep going on down the list. I mean, this was this was a class ranked 13th for Tennessee in the 2019 cycle that, you know, Gamecock fans were talking about how, wow, the, the talent, the talent gap. You know, there's a big talent gap now with Tennessee signing all these guys. No, that's not the case. You know, people were worried about Quavaris Crouch going there. He did absolutely nothing. You know, the guy that was really good – Henry Toto. And then the other guy that was really good was Eric Gray. And the Gamecocks dang near signed him coming out. Bobby Bentley had him in for a visit and made him think. But he's a Tennessee kid. Now he's out at Oklahoma. But, uh, you know, I, yeah, 13th versus 21st. I, you know, I, I'm looking at the Gamecocks class right now, and I'm not saying that top to bottom it was better as far as people that are still here, but – you know, he had Zach Pickens. He's still there. Then Helensky, Joseph Anderson, not there. Cam Smith's probably going to start. Kevion Mullins and eh, Jamie Robinson's not there. John Dixon's not there. So, you know, that 2019 class, Derek Boykins is gone. Shiloh Sanders is gone. Keyshawn Tony's gone. You know, but this class also had – Tyquan Johnson's gone. This class also had Nick Muse in it as a transfer. Jamar Brown, Xavier Leggett, Kevin Harris, uh, Mark Fox, Vinnie Murphy. Ja'Kai Moore, um, you know, and then Pickens. So, I don't know. I'd probably compare – I'd probably say South Carolina's class for 2019 right now is probably at least comparable to Tennessee's, you know, given that they've lost. But Gamecocks have lost some some star power out of that class as well. But 2020 class, uh, which I'm going to write about this week on the Big Spur, is, is totally intact, though. Totally intact. That was the 19th-ranked class – Who's had some attrition? Tennessee was 10th that year. Let's look and see. You know, Key Lawrence is gone. Harrison Bailey's still there. Jalen Hyatt's still there. All these other guys are gone. 
Gone, gone, gone. Mm-mm-mm. So, I don't know. We'll see kind of how it all works out. But uh, team ranking-wise, I you know, for those of you that follow it, you know, number one, I don't think the 70-something for 2021 is going to matter. It's good for talking heads. I'm sorry, it's down to 80th now because I guess they factored in some other things. Uh, people are going to talk about it, but it just does not matter. I mean, with, with everybody from 2020 getting a red shirt across the board and with the large number of transfers that just did not count. Uh, and then you, then you factor in that most of the rankings for the 2021 class were just off film. Um, and I'll tell you a story. I had a guy named Chasman Davis, a class of 2007, down in Florida was a linebacker, some of the best linebacker film you've ever seen in your life. Just great. But you saw him in person, eh, couldn't really move that well. You know, it kind of was a different story. I don't think Chasman ever went anywhere. Um, I think he didn't qualify or something. But, you know, had it been 2021 and I was just sitting there on, you know, puddle, I'd probably ranked him pretty high. Now, look, I'm not saying that the rankings are not going to be at least, you know, the 67.8% accurate that they normally are. Uh, they're probably going to be more in the 50s this time, I think, across the board, because I, I think college coaches are hamstrung too by not being able to see guys in person. You know, so you don't know if, you know, in, in a camp setting, Nick Barrett couldn't have been a four-star guy or – you know, they saw Ladarian Craig and he ended up moving up. You know, all the JUCOs, Marcellus Dowd didn't have a season last year. You know, where would he have ranked? TJ Sanders, if he camped, where would he have ranked? What about Omega Blake? I mean, you know, I, I just don't think that number is going to hurt Carolina. And I think that this year's number for 2022 is going to go up a bit to where the Gamecocks normally are. And then I think as you build, you keep building if you can win, then you can start sneaking up there into the top 15 or so, maybe top 10. Uh, it just, uh, it's hard sometimes because you do have, you know, I, I and look, I'll explain this too, and then I got to get off. <laughs> there, there are schools that get the benefit of the doubt, but it's not like you'd think, you know, there's no, there's no Bama bump. But if a kid has offers from Bama, Let's say kids got an early offer from Bama. They get an offer from Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, those schools. And then they pick Florida. And and maybe they didn't, you know, maybe the offer from Bama and whatnot. But maybe they go to Florida. You know, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt um, more so than, than a guy that doesn't have a lot of those offers. You know, because offers offer list does have to factor in. It's not more that it's not so much like the one school that offers, although if Alabama legitimately offers you, I think that they have a thorough enough process to where if you're evaluating and ranking, you need to pay attention. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not just one school, it's usually a collection of schools. And if you see all these guys wanting a guy, you know, then then obviously the, that's probably reinforcement that for what you see on film that the guy can play uh, a little bit. So, you know, we'll see. The, the problem is, too, though, is, is this, because you, you may go like a guy on film and you see his offers, and then, uh, like Jamie Robinson, you know, and then you hear, well, George is probably not going to take him. And mentally you may hold, well, what's, what's, what's the hold up there? He's a Georgia kid, et cetera. I bet Georgia regrets not taking him right now. But, uh, you know, so Jamie Robinson never got to back to four stars. He got gradually dropped, and that was that. So that's that. But, you know, you, you do have some schools that when, when you're calculating their team ranking, you kind of look down like seventh or eighth on the list, and their guys are all like .09025, which is a four star. So you got those pretty stars. And then at South Carolina, you may have a 0.8811. Now, there's not a – Ants, but bit of difference between those two guys, except that one star. And so that's the deal there. But anyway, Carolina's going to get back uh, top 25 in recruiting, I think, really soon. I, I think this class really will come together well. And I think that some of the guys that maybe aren't rated super duper high 
right now probably can they'll have a chance to move up because you people will be able to see them in person and, and i think that's important so all right go to apple podcast rate rate it five stars keep those rolling i've set a new goal i would like to get to uh a, a thousand reviews and i think we're at 300 now i had a, I had a lofty goal last football season but it kind of died down a thousand reviews and ratings by the time the Clemson game kicks off uh, Thanksgiving weekend in Columbia. So a lot of episodes to go with them. But if you think about it, when you get your wife to do it or your girlfriend or your buddy or whoever on their phone, uh, go to Apple podcast, rate it five stars, write a review. Uh, and I certainly appreciate that. That helps us stay ranked and relevant and all that good stuff. All right. This is JC Sherbert. It's been a great Wednesday episode, folks. We'll holla at you soon.